1: Welcome back to another episode of NFT365, and we are sponsored and powered by the Crypto Business Conference. Crypto Business Conference, come on board. It's a conference that I'm very proud for, NFT365, to be one of the media partners. It is actually in beautiful San Diego, California, on October 9th through the 11th. It is put on by the team social media examiner who happens to also put on the world's largest social media event known as social media marketing world, which I've actually spoke at for the last seven years uh, in a row. And uh, for me, excited to you know, have them on board as not only a sponsor of the podcast, but also you know, we are going to team up and uh, you know, you'll be able to see me on stage. We're going to do some fun things uh, with them. So make sure you guys check that out. It is Crypto Business Conference, and I'll make sure to share the notes and the links for that in the, uh, in the show notes. Now, with that you know, kind of being said, and when we think about just this idea of uh, creatives, you know, one of the things that I love about Web3, about the blockchain, is you know, removing the technology and really allowing us to amplify and connect great people that are doing great things, right? And uh, you know, one of the, the things, you know, my, my mom likes to remind me of this, you know, I wrote in my high school yearbook when people would say, like, uh, you know, what is you know, the thing that you care about doing most in life? And I had a simple phrase. It was like, I want to connect great people with great people to do great shit. That was literally what I wrote in my yearbook in 1999, in high school yearbook. And the beauty of it is that's really what this entire medium of the blockchain Web3 is enabling us to do. And today I have one of those great people here with us, not only a talented, uh, not only TV star, but also talented creative and really a, a leader in, the, you know, in this space of Web3. And we've been able to share a lot of Twitter spaces together. But uh, David Bianchi, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Give, you know, give people a little bit of a, a preview, a little intro of, of who you are, what you're all about, and then we'll jump into the show.
0: Sure, hey man, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we shared some good Twitter Spaces together. And I'm glad to be connected. Proud of what you're doing, and definitely about moving, you know, moving the engine forward for Web three. Uh, you know, you, you you talked about connecting great people, and I'm happy to be connected to you. So, um, for anyone that doesn't know, my name is David Bianchi. I'm an actor, independent filmmaker. I'm globally known as a spoken word poet as well. Um, I entered the NFT space in March of 2021 when I minted the first ever award winning spoken word film as an NFT. So what does that mean? So for the better of 17 years, I've been producing high concept short films told entirely in poetry that are high cinematic. So sometimes deploying 20 to 30 person crews, original scores, Emmy nominated directors, award winning cinematographers, etc. So I've been doing this for a very long time out of my own pocket, living in Hollywood and working through Hollywood. Go to March 2021 when I minted the first Spinema film. So I trademarked the the brand Spinema, spinning cinema through spoken word. And as a result of that, that piece was acquired by the team that bought the $69 million Beeple. Forbes covered the story. Uh, It was a piece called I Can't Breathe. And I donated 100% of those proceeds to the George Floyd Memorial Foundation. Um, So social consciousness, uh, social impact, philanthropy, these are all parts of the undercurrent of my work. And since then, I've probably become, you know, one one of the leading socially conscious artists in NFTs, but also one of the leading multimedia artists in NFTs. Uh, I've minted several of these films, um, raised tens of thousands of dollars for nonprofits through my work uh, and, you know, have been curated at Art Basel, uh, curated at uh, Dreamverse with Time Magazine and MetaPurse, curated uh, at NFT NYC at uh, the first ever in real life uh, gallery uh, created by Super Rare and Soho. Um, at the Shanghai exhibit um, in China. So my, my crypto art has has really been uh, kind of showcased in, in, in some really, really high level places. And I've been blessed to be collected by some of the most important collectors in the space, including Medicovin, uh G-Money, uh, Krista Kim, Pranksy, Mandoir, Guy. Um, and some some really other sophisticated uh, collectors. So yeah, and I'm happy to be having this conversation with you and talking about the creative side of NFTs and not necessarily the tech side, but they kind of they kind of run in tandem, don't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, they kind of work, they work nicely together, right? I think that's like kind of the, the, the beauty of that, you know, and I, you know, I, I think just to set that stage too, right? Like, you know, if you know, check out your IMDB page, right, you have worked on many shows that I personally were big fans of. We were talking about that a little bit pre-show. Sure. You're currently, uh, what's the show you're, you're currently on hiatus for right now on Peacock? What's the name of that show?
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm on a couple. I I just did a recent recurring guest star at NCIS Hawaii. um, And then I'm currently recurring on a major on a major show produced um, by Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's company uh, and Universal Productions called Resident Alien. That's led by a great guy named Alan Tudyk. Um, it's the number one show on sci-fi, but now is available on Peacock as well. And we're actually in the, the second season, uh, break. So, and I think in the next three weeks, the second half of second season is going to come back and then, you know, knock on wood, the third season will start shooting again, uh, in December. So, uh, on that show, I play a character named Goliath. Uh, who is basically Alan Tudyk is an alien, and the character that I play is the only other alien from his race living on planet Earth uh, in the body of a human being. So nice, um, pretty nicely tethered into the narrative, and you know it's really exciting um, to 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 continue to be a self sustaining artist. I mean, because that's really what we fight for, right? And right. that's what blockchain has afforded me. You know, I'm very transparent about my story, right? I got my Screen Actors Guild card in 2004 doing extra work. Wow! I came to Hollywood with a theater degree believing Hollywood was waiting for me. But, oh, boy, was I pleasantly surprised that they were not. Like, they didn't give a shit about me. Like, I was a waiter. I was a bartender for 15 years. I slept on an air mattress. I had cockroaches in the kitchen, you know. Um I mean, it was gnarly, man. I mean, that was just my existence, you know. Um but I always believe in attacking the island and burning the boat. I never uh-huh. came to LA saying, I'm not going to become an actor. I always said, I am an actor. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. While I'm making that cocktail for you, I'm an actor. I'm becoming an actor. To me, this is just my wax on, wax off, right? It was just basically building the resilience, right? Because we hear all these horror stories, whether it be in crypto art or whether it be in Hollywood or whatever it is, right. people give up too soon. You quit before the miracle happens. Ooh. You can't quit before the miracle happens, ladies and gentlemen. And the other thing I hate is when I talk to artists is they say, you know, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm I'm, going to try this acting thing. Fucking go home. Go back to Ohio where the rent's cheap and get a dog, get married, have, you know, get have 1.2 kids or whatever it is. As soon as you say you're going to try to do something, you failed because you've created a subconscious degree of scarcity. You told yourself that you're just going to try. You didn't tell yourself you're going to do it. And so as a result of that, regardless of what it took, I was going to keep doing it. And then now fast forward the blockchain, you know, blockchain really created self-sufficiency for me as an artist. Wow. And, and in, in a way, honestly, in a way that Hollywood never really did, because what blockchain has done for me is it's created consistency right. yeah. that Hollywood can't really offer. Yeah, and
1: not, not even not even you know play to offer, right? And and you mentioned the spoken word side, right? We're gonna get into the spinema conversation as well. The other part of this that I think is really interesting is like you know when we think of like artists, removing the starving from the starving artist, a lot of people's first notion just goes to art itself, right? As in you know paintings or something uh, you know physical. And I, and I think you know we've had some musicians here on the podcast uh, that have really you know what they're able to do with NFTs has been pretty amazing, but. When you think about like your career as an artist, did you always kind of identify as a, as a spoken word artist and the actor side or like where do those two worlds kind of uh, play in? like I'm very blessed like I grew up in uh, you know Virginia Beach through uh, high school and I, I tell you the the very first spoken word uh, live event I went to it's one of my like this is a, this is a name drop that I don't get the uh, I don't think I've actually ever flexed that on this podcast. Uh, this guy named Pharrell Williams, people might have heard of him, uh, literally in Virginia Beach. It was an event hosted by Timberland and Missy Elliott, who grew up right in the same area as I grew up. And it was a spoken word conversation. I remember going there, not really even sure what spoken word was. I felt like I was very uh, naive to the concept and being blown away, of course, Pharrell becoming Pharrell that uh, was from that side. So I, I'm curious, talk to us a little bit about like that piece of it, because what you are creating, you're you're kind of tapping into the actor, the director, spoken word side, and just that overall artist appeal. Give us a little bit about like that background and your kind of creative journey.
0: Sure, man. I, I thank you for thank you for telling me your story. That's incredible. You know, we always love the genesis story, right? That's oh, yeah. what we want to hear. We want to hear the genesis. Um, I'm an artist first. Like, I painted my first watercolor or acrylic, I think, in like second grade. My mother still has it framed on a wall somewhere. It's like a riverbed. Really bad, Um, but then I was already writing poetry in my head before I knew how to grammatically write with a pencil. Right, cat hat this that baseball bat. You know, I just like the the percussion that it created. You know, and growing up, you know, in the 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 late eighties, early nineties, I'm dating myself. I you know was like it was like Fat Boys and Run DMC and Eric B and Rakim, and you know it was really the golden era of hip hop. So that was sort of like. Like rap music was just hitting the airwaves, the commercial radio airwaves, but it was popping up in TV commercials, for example. So I was tapped into the rhythm of words, and then that got me into being like a battle MC as I was growing up in upstate New York. Um, But I moved to Mexico City when I was a kid, and then I lived there for five years, and that's where I learned to speak Spanish and so on and so forth. But my first time on stage as an actor was in third grade and I played Captain Hook and Peter Pan. They painted the mustache on me. I had a little hook on my hand and everything, you know, but I go back deeper than that. In second grade in America, before I moved, we used to act out TV commercials for each other on the swing set in the neighborhood. So I was doing improv before I knew what improv was. I say all that because I'm an artist. I see the world through colors and temperatures and textures, right? And so To your question, um, poetry was always the underlying theme of who I am. Art has always been the driver of who I am. It just happened to manifest itself in terms of performance, right? And so through high school, I was always involved in, in, in high school theater and so on and so forth. And then as a battle MC, which is also performance, so on and so forth. I ended up going to Arizona State University where I, and I graduated top of my class there. And while I was there, I started getting involved in slam poetry. And slam poetry is competition poetry. So there's like spoken word that was created out of the Harlem Renaissance. And then there's slam poetry, which was birthed in Chicago, which is competition poetry, which is created by some white beatnik poets out of Chicago. I think it was the Green Mill. I think I remember, remember correctly. But nonetheless, I started realizing that, holy shit, like I don't have to be a thug or a gangster to be able to like drop lyrics. Right. And do something that is exciting. So the term spoken word, for example, uh, from a branding perspective makes sense. But I tend to like shy away from that a bit because every word is spoken. So what makes me different from somebody else? I like to call it performance poetry. Ah. Right. So like what you experienced with Pharrell probably blew you away because if you put him on mute, you'd still be able to experience a physical catharsis through his physical form. Because yeah. we're blurring the lines between poetic, because you can read poetry and it's not compelling. Right. But you can perform poetry and it's fucking compelling right right and so w- to get us where we are now so i was producing poetic slam events and then in 2004 2005 i produced my first film that was made from poetry mm. me and this guy daniel j pico it was called soldier it played 16 festivals all over the world we won a bunch of festivals i was really blown away because for 500 bucks we made this 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 super creative film that did really really well and got critical acclaim And we used the poetry as the script. And so it was really experimental, but that was the beginning of spinema. And so when I was trudging Hollywood, you know, getting rejected left and right, trying to get the agent, trying to get this and that, trying to book my first commercial, my first speaking role in general hospital where they even cut me out. You just heard me off camera for crying out loud, (laughs) you know, and I was bartending. What kept me alive was the open mic. Ah. A lot of actors have the stand-up comedy scene. A lot right. of actors will have improv, groundling, second city. For me, I had the coffee shop. So when I was waking up on Monday, like depressed and shell shocked from the weekend, I had Wednesday to look forward to. I had to, I had, I had open mic. So it kept me alive, man. It just kept me alive. And so over the course of 17 years, I continued to produce independent film and I forged my knives and I got the Hattori Hanzo steel and uh, you know, I just got really good at what I do. And, and the, the idea of spinema sort of birthed itself about 10 years ago because as I started to scour the internet, I realized that nobody in the world was doing what I was doing, mm. treating poetry like full on productions. And that's when I came up with the the moniker Spinema, Spinning Cinema Through Spoken Word. And so I'm very yeah. uniquely, I'm, you know, because I'm very uniquely qualified, as you right. said, being an actor, being a filmmaker, being a poet, but also being a performer. And my final thought on this is that I've learned through producing these films that you can make a great actor a good poet, but you can't make a good poet a good actor, ah. right? Because poets, as you know, th- we reach for the back of the room, right? But when you're but when you're creating a spin of a film, you're actually working with a camera that's like right here. Mm. So the lens is this close, so you have to be able to be understand the nuances of oh, film yeah. performance as well as the ability to deliver poetic verse. That
1: that's such an interesting cross section. Right? I you know I relate a little bit of that to like the the speaker versus YouTuber, right? Like I'm getting a, you know someone as great as a as a public speaker, motivational speaker on a stage, a lot of them are atrocious as as a YouTuber, right? Like talking to a camera, understanding like some of those dynamics. But I also want to tie it back, like uh, you know, first of all, you you have the four Q, the ASU. Uh, you know, my daughters all were born in Arizona. Uh, I like to say I didn't go to ASU, but I paid a lot of money to ASU because my ex wife. <laughs> Uh, ex-wife got her master's there. Both my brother, and my sister-in-law, undergrad. We lived, uh, you know, out there in Queen Creek uh, area. Season tickets to you know ASU uh, football for you know seven years. So big fan. But you also mentioned top of your class. You were like Matt. You were magnum cum-, cum laude. Is that correct? Like you were yeah. literally top of the class. I mean, I mean you, you kind of bury that lead, right? I think it's so funny how that, like, that's a. I mean, that's a powerful, you know, statement and testament to what you you were kind of working towards. But you also mentioned before, like you jump into Hollywood and it's not like all of a sudden they're like, okay, you check that box, check that box. Here's your TV show, David. Right. And so you've, you've, you've been the, the scrappy guy, you know, ever since, but I also just love your, you've mentioned throughout each one of those stories on like finding out how to make yourself different. Like what part of you is best to deliver the piece that you're talking about? I'm curious, where do you get that from? Like where in your background life you mentioned you kind of some of the moving do you know where you kind of tap into this like commitment to realizing that you can be great but being great and being able to stand out in your own way is kind of like that magic sauce because i can see it's threaded in your experience love to just know where you think that came from
0: sure uh well i I appreciate the observation it's very kind of you and shout out to arizona state um That theater program really, really nurtured me because I wanted to come to Hollywood and I didn't want to be another pretty boy with a headshot. I wanted to understand the mechanics of performance, like from a voice and diction perspective, from a physical language perspective. I wanted to know, you know, all the academia around theater that I could absorb, but also perform on the main stage. You know, I remember, let me just digress like, I was a knucklehead when I was a kid, and this is public information. I was expelled from six high schools. Like, I actually got a GED in the local strip mall in upstate New York. So we're talking about, we're like, David, if you come back to this campus, you'll be arrested for trespassing. I mean, so I don't, I'm, so that, yeah. so when I say that, and then you look at a guy who went to Scottsdale Community College, because Arizona State said you could enter on academic probation. Mm. You have to get two classes and pass with a 4.0 to enter. I knew what my purpose was when I went to Arizona State. I had had a lot of troubled stuff move through me. I've had some dark places and so on and so forth. You know, um, I knew what I wanted to do, so I got into Arizona State on academic probation, and I ended up graduating with a 3.96. And I remember when I was a telemarketer in upstate New York trying to figure out how to move to Arizona, I had a printout of the of the main stage theater, the the uh, I think it's called the Galvin Stage at Arizona State. I had a pin to my cubicle. And every phone call I made, I said, I'm becoming an actor. I'm going to play on that stage. I'm going to play on that stage. I looked at every single fucking day. I'm going Mm. to play on that stage. ended up playing on that stage in in leading roles three times in front of a a 500 person house for long theater runs. And so, you know, I say that because it's important that people have to understand that you have to set the intention for the mission. And whatever happens in between is whatever happens in between. That's just the process to getting you to where you ultimately want to be and what you want to become. But you have to be able to create the vision of who you want to be within yourself so that you have an internal roadmap of what to follow. Yes. Right? As I said earlier, I want to attack the island and burn the boat. You know. And so the other thing that you mentioned is greatness right? And there's the, 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 there's a distinction between greatness and mediocrity, right? But the distance between greatness and mediocrity is your perception. Mm. So how do I see myself? How do I see the world? So I always, I often use this example. If you look at the checkout clerk at Ralph's, if he walks into that store, he gets that application. He's excited to get that job, but he knows in his mind, body and spirit, he wants to be a general manager, How's he going to check out those groceries? Mm-hmm. He's going to show up. You, you, you're either early or you're late. There's no such thing as on time. <laughs> right. So he's going to be early. He's going to check out those groceries to the best of his ability. He's going to communicate with people in a friendly, concise manner. He is going to show up. His clothes is going to be ironed. He's going to be creased. He's going to be ready to go. In other words, he knows he's a manager before they know he's a manager. And he carries himself as such so that when people around him see who he is as a human being, they understand he's managerial material, even though he's only checking out zucchinis and and boxes of cereal. Mm. And that's how you have to approach your life. Yeah. You have to carry this on you. Every single step of the way, and not everybody's built for this kind of stuff, right? Not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. And and and, and I love the, the thought of you know, the good is the enemy of the great, right? That you yep. probably heard that before. Oh, yeah. That is, as soon as I allow myself to be good, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of guys that own houses and have children and have great jobs and pay the bills and pay their taxes, etc. They're all good, and they get drunk on the weekends, they watch football, and they kick back. They got the recliners, they're good to go, right? But then there's the great people, mm-hmm. right? there's a big distinction that as soon as you settle for anything good, you have slammed the door on your ability to be great because being great isn't always popular. Mm -hmm. Being great is stressful. Being great is, 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 burden carrying, you know? So it takes a lot to be able to figure that out. Now to your final question, where did it come from? I have no idea. I just don't know. I've always loved creating things. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've loved to lead with inspiration. And mm. I, I, I like leading the charge. I, I, I received that responsibility with a sober, focused mind. And, uh, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur, man. I mean, back in 1995, I was throwing outlaw raves in warehouses, <laughs> you know, with the police scanner and right. map points and picking ravers up in school buses and from the school bus take them to the warehouse. And so I was always sort of like entrepreneurial, you know, in, in my mind, body and spirit. So... I mean, you know,
1: so I- I'm going to tap in real because I think, you know, I think every person that's listening to this right now can feel your passion, your mission, your drive, right? And like, I, I feel like that's also one of those rare qualities that, you know, for me, it's like, a, it's a blessing that I get to build off of someone's energy that I can match and and, and kind of uh, build upon. But I remember... Actually, I think one of the first times you and I ever had a conversation on a, like a social audio, it was actually that I think the discussion around not everyone's built to be an entrepreneur. And I'm yeah. very loud about that because I feel like we have buried that lead and like entrepreneurship became sexy. And then all of a sudden people were like, wait a second, like, do you know what it's required to actually pull off being an entrepreneur? And it's a skill set and a approach to life. And, you know, and, you know, the mental side of it, there's a lot of that goes in there. But I also think having that kind of like North Star, right? The passion you mentioned, like not enough people. I think when we hear things like, you know, find the, you know, find the job you love and you love what you do. Like I always looked at it was like, I will find a way to love everything I do because I'm going to give what I get, you know, out of it and like lean into that. And I think, you know, part of that comes through um, not only in like some of the results, but, you know, David, one of the things that I've, I've really, you know, admired is that there's also this idea of. I don't need to be in one bucket. I can also impact more people. I can be dedicated to you know making a, not only a difference in like the blockchain NFT side of the house, but also stay true to your craft, right? I, I've 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 felt that passion in many uh, cases as well. You mentioned one of your kind of like you know into NFTs and the you know uh, being able the social good component, right? And right. I I've talked a lot about that on this uh, podcast, but mainly because a lot of social good. Uh, initiatives or projects have struggled to you know really understand where the nft is more than just a a donation ticket right or another pass path to collect I'm curious when you before we get into that that part of that your project when you first heard or attracted to nfts which part of your creative like masterpiece were you first attracted to was it was the idea you could you could create you know kind of the the digital video uh you know producer side was it the spoken word side was it the well i can bring a lot of these all together i can you know kind of tap in what was that first kind of like entry point aha for you kind of seeing the the power of what nfts could
0: offer i had no idea what i was getting into when i got into it (laughs) Just like, uh, just like so many other things that I've done in my life. Like, I just like, I had this idea. Like, I remember I was like, uh, I started shooting footage um, back in like, I don't know, 2004 against, you know, conscientious objectors in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make a feature length documentary and, and uh, against the Bush administration, the American occupation of Iraq. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea it was going to take me four years Had I known that, there's no way I would have jumped into making a documentary. But the thing is, but I finished it and I got it done. It got distribution, right? I was not going to not complete the job. I just have that in my system. Now, as it relates to blockchain, the thing that got me paying attention to blockchain was the pandemic just like so many other people, right? Yep. And I had been involved in cryptocurrency since 2017. So I was already aware of the underlying technology and I completely respected the values of the blockchain. And I see what the blockchain is going to do for the world and is doing for the world. So my transition to understanding what an NFT is, which is metadata that's married on the blockchain, can't be manipulated, broken, or destroyed. That was easy for me to grasp, right? And so I started doing some investigation. And ironically, it was Medicoven who bought the $69 million Beeple. Yep. That news headline is what caught my attention. Because it's like Hollywood was shut down. I had done a big show for Tyler Perry. I I, I went out to Tyler Perry Studios during the pandemic and, you know, they flew out private jet. It was this whole bubble thing and all that containment. And that was an incredible experience. But that was lightning in a bottle to book a job mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Right. So was Hollywood coming back? I didn't know. So I started poking around and figuring out how this NFT thing worked. What, did, what are the communities? At that point, it was only Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, it was Clubhouse and Twitter and Discord. Yep. So I'm poking around, I'm trying to figure out, I'm looking at Rarible, I'm looking at OpenSea, I'm figuring it all out. But I didn't understand how I wanted to be identified. Mm. Because yes, I I have done fine art exhibits as a painter and as an artist, but I'm not widely known as that. I'm known as an actor, I'm known somewhat as a filmmaker, I'm known as a poet. Okay, hmm. All right, let me look around. So at the time, March 2021, the the blockchain limitations were 50 megabytes, 35 Mm. megabytes on most platforms. I found a platform that allowed for 250 megabytes. Mm. So then I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm like, I want to mint a film, but it's 500 megabytes. What am I going to do? So the thing is, desperation is the mother of creativity. I was reading something in a stoicism book today, okay. right? And this is a great lesson for the audience, right? The, the barriers in your life are only barriers. They may block your path, but they don't block your drive, your intention, or your vision. Mm. So your intention, your drive, and your vision have to be bigger than the obstacles in front of you. Mm. And if they are, you will find a way. And so as a result of that, I was like, okay, well, let me figure out. So I took this 1920 by 1080 file. I, I crushed it down to 960 by 540. And I dropped the bitrate down to like 6.7 or 6.8 megabits per second. And I was able to get it under 250. And then Boom. That was the birth of the first ever spoken word film as an NFT. And at the time, I was the one, probably the only artist that was minting an entire film as, as one of one art. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but I used my hustle as a filmmaker to go to clubhouses. I created thumbnails. I just created this grassroots marketing campaign. And I ended up connecting with an incredible human being named Noah Niles and Paulo Moreno. And then that he, Paulo introduced me to Farouk. Um, and then, you know, next thing, you know, I'm in clubhouse rooms with 4,000 people and there's not a dry eye in the room. Yep. Everybody's crying as I'm performing this, I can't breathe poem live in the room.
1: I remember that. I re- I re- I was one of those crying in that audience. I remember that verbatim. I know where I was. I know where I was in my house listening wow. to that, um, during that moment. I, and I, I have to thank you for that too, because it also allowed during that time, you know, as a, as an ally that realized that my silence was not okay. I, there was also places where I just needed to be able to connect with people and like to feel the pain, but also feel like that overall impact. And I remember you giving that. And I will say it, it was also one of those moments from a, a, a social audio perspective, that like vulnerability and authenticity at a level that, you know, I don't think we had, we had really seen online, right. Like in, in that, you know, digital space. Um, And I, you know, I also love that you talked about like, you know, you looked at like kind of the limitations and I I gave a keynote for many years and it was just called limitations inspire creativity because I've always looked at that for anything, right. When it's like, wait, like you can't do certain things on, on Snapchat. Well, you can't because they didn't give you the original tools. But what can you do with what you know and, and what you build? And, and I remember that's also kind of what Clubhouse felt, right? Clubhouse was a, a social audio app where we talked about, you know, where NFTs really became, you know, grassrooted and expanded. And there was no pinning it to the nest. There was no sharing of links. I mean, we were still DMing on IG on the back end, right? It was such a, like, you know, that world was so interesting. Um, talk to us a little bit about that George Floyd you know, one and, and like the the raising of the funds and also you know a lot of it you know you mentioned people right but also like validation of of your your craft also being purchased and and amplified and highlighted by those that also looked at what Beeble was doing to me that also validated for a lot of people the impact and the importance that this space can have on way more than just you know the the crypto space as a whole.
0: Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. And thank you for, for reminding me of that. I, di- I didn't know that you were in those rooms. Um, we never know who we're touching. Um, there's something very unique about the NFT space. And I remember crying. I remember when, when, when the auction closed. And it didn't sell for a ton of money, but it sold for about, about the equivalent of $20,000 at the time. And these are films that I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars out of my own pocket over the course of two decades creating because my heart told me I need to create artivism. This isn't my work. This is God's work. I'm just skin and bones, you know? So I'm serving a higher purpose. And so for it to be actually auctioned and sold to one of the most sophisticated collectives in the entire world who authenticated the the people every days was mind blowing. I held my girlfriend and we cried. I cried so deeply. I cried and I cried out of sheer joy that I finally felt like my art had found its home. Because if we look at who is in NFTs and who's in Web3, young, tech-savvy, sophisticated, influential, and hungry for art. Those are the a lot of the primary attributes of people that live in Web3. And those attributes don't exist in the open mic communities. Those attributes don't exist at the film festival uh, parade, for the most part. And so that's where I met people like Keith Grossman, who is a big bull on my work. That's where I met, like I said, I met people like Farouk. That's where I met, God rest his soul, you know, Wolf, you know, uh, Jin. And I met, you know, incredible people like Adrusha and Swan Sid and, and and Nicole Benham and all these, you know, Georgia Sinclair. And and then obviously, and then uh, you know, Mundoir, for example, who's one of my collectors. Really, really interesting people. How, who, who are these people? But whatever they're doing, I want to be a part of it. Because... Mm. Not only was the work uh, received in such a beautiful way, as a result of that influence, I ended up having communications with Lee Merritt, who's one of the most pronounced and, and, and important civil rights attorneys in the entire world. world, yeah, for sure. Benjamin Crump. Whoa! Wow. This is who I... So as a result of that sale, the film actually ended up getting to the George Floyd Memorial Foundation where I donated the proceeds, but it got to the, to the Floyd family. And, it, and, and of all, think about this, of all the content that the Floyd Foundation got from that movement, mm. they saw I Can't Breathe and they said, David, this is the singularly most important piece of video that we have seen. Wow. And they played it at the one-year memoriam of his passing in Minneapolis. And I te- I've texted with Bridget Floyd. And this, I I, I I cried uncontrollably. I wept. I was broken. Because my yoke was wide open at this point. Mm -hmm. And I felt that this is where I belong. And the blockchain allows not only for artivism to exist, um, I can create work that is elevating the conversation, um, leading with heart first, talking about social issues and human condition issues, and creating a a legacy of art that is going to be all things David Bianchi. Performances, uh, photographs, films, paintings, screenplays, short stories, all these things that I get to create in my lifetime, you know, and, and, and leave some sort of legacy. And I often say this last thought on this bit is that like, we can only take with us what we have become. Mm. That's all we could take with us. And whatever we leave here is a side effect of who we have become.
1: I love that. And I love you know, thank you for sharing that that like that journey piece of it too, right? And like the the attachment to because I think the names of of who, you know, saw that as early value are are as important as part of this idea of like you know when you, as soon as you said like I feel like this is where I belong like it gave me chills because that feeling for for so many of us when you get that feeling in the space it's like it's an intersection that we didn't know a was going to ever exist b that we knew was possible with something as you know like uh when someone says this, like, it's a ledger that allows you to put things online it's like i'm mean, like i've never looked at like an excel spreadsheet and was like oh that's my future right like, like <laughs> get the hell out of here like uh but you know, i also you know, like that big impact right and like especially that summer um you know clubhouse you know we kind of i feel like it was such a a unique world that so many of us like i i, I credit it for me Uh, helping me not feel alone in a life that I had traveled 40 weeks a year, my entire career to being forced to be home and, uh, you know, wrestle with the, you know, as a co-parent and and a lot of things like thankful that clubhouse allowed me, uh, you know, connection and and roots. Uh, But then there's also just the idea of like, you've been, continuing to innovate and you know, we minted uh, one of your pieces for our, you know, our mint 365 collection. And we'll, we'll include that in the, in the show notes. Uh, You know, you were been joining us on uh, alpha Mondays with, uh shira lazar and manushka and and other you know some just really great talents uh you know keith grossman I, I was able to be a part of one of his very first uh clubhouse rooms and uh, i remember i brought him and Farouk on stages maybe the first time they ever spoke on clubhouse i was the one that brought him up only because i had uh, a large club on there early on and then to see all this like you know impact that things are making i'm curious for you as someone that, um, that has the, you know, the other side of the house, right? The, like, I mean, you have the, you have the, you have the talent as an actor, you have, you know, some success early on with NFTs. You mentioned like the, that drive. I mean, the, the, the platforms that you're using aren't, you're not just going back to the well, you're not just tapping in the fact, Hey, I built this great network. There's great collectors that hold my pieces. When you, when you're looking at that innovating, How do you look at that as far as inspiring other spoken word artists, others that maybe haven't found their home yet? How do you look at like your desire to innovate and continue to evolve with also the need, the desire to kind of hopefully inspire others to kind of join us on this path?
0: Um, You have to be inspired by the technology that's the most important thing. People ask me all the time, David, how do I get into NFTs? Can you help me get into NFTs? Especially in the Hollywood community, a lot of people want to be a part of the cash grab, right? right. And I said, the first thing I say to them, I'm like, do you know what the blockchain is? And are you inspired by the blockchain? Because if you're not, there's no way you're ever going to be able to be inspired by what an NFT is and what it can do for you and what it will do for your future, right? And so I say that because Everything that I've tried to do and I continue to do and successfully have done in NFTs is leaning into the edge of the technology, minting an NFT at 249 megabytes that, as an ERC-721 in March 2021. Nobody Unheard was doing of. that. Unheard of. right? And then, boom, to the third spoken word film, the, fir- the third spin of a film that I minted and they created limited edition assets and it became the first film to have a red carpet premiere in the metaverse at the Maker's Place Gallery in Decentraland and we did 2,000 pull apps in attendance nobody was doing that. Okay, cool. And then being the only artist on super rare that's using theatrical level cinema as one of one art, while keeping it under 50 megabytes, right? Pushing, 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 pushing the boundaries of technology. To me, that's the most important thing, right? Not only am I interested in creating sophisticated work that is standout, I also want to be able to Create work that the blockchain archaeologists, when they do show up and look at my work, I'll be much older then. They will look back at my work and not only see the quality of the art, they'll see what it meant technologically at the time, right? Mm. So there's that component, and so that sort of is a good segue to what you were just talking about, which is the census collection, and the census collection is a direct result of leaning into the technology. You know, I wanted to create uh, an NFT collection that that led with poetry, but also tapped into the the pushing the boundaries of what the technology could offer um in no i guess october of 2021 i had this idea that i wanted to create a poetic uh collection that was inspiring and uplifting to sort of break the trend of what i had done in poetry and nfts Um, and so the vision of this is to give audiences an opportunity to listen and to pause Um, that was really, really the number one thing that I wanted to do. And so my vision initially was to write poems that would be sort of injected into some sort of AI engine. And then the words would be sort of broken apart through data, mathematical sets, and then punch out its own piece of art that didn't happen because the technology wasn't there. But I ended up speaking to Lisa at Async at NFT NYC, October of 2021. I told her my idea. She says, well, we have a technology engine that might be able to handle close to what you're talking about doing. So senses, is the result of that so i wrote 100 poems that are inspired by the five human senses that are uplifting i looked around for the right lead artist and ended up connecting with this gentleman dogan demir who's a technologist and a code and a, a very experienced code code writer and he wanted to come on board and he creates fractal art well fractals actually exist in nature Mm. So it, that's a tethering to the, to the, to the human sense. It's like, okay, that's interesting. I was like, can we create art that's inspired by my voice? And we went back and forth and we agreed. Yes. So we recorded uh, wave recordings of my haikus took mathematical data sets from those high, from those wave recordings, used those mathematical data sets to inspire the code that creates the, the generative fractal art. That is actually the visual component of the collection.
1: Wow. Well, yeah. How did you even, I, I'm just mesmerized on how that connect. how do you make that connection of like allowing like each one to inspire them both in like multiple directions? I I, I don't even think I would have even approach that. How, do, how does that like, how do you wrap your head around that kind of innovation?
0: Right. So in my head, I was like, this is possible. All I need is I need an engineer and a talented technician and a talented artist that can help realize the vision. Right. And so I just shopped around and wanted to find someone who was tethered and aligned to what I wanted to do. And luckily Dogon was that. So Dogon was able to basically take patterns, mathematical patterns that were found in the wave recordings and then take those mathematical patterns and inject them into the the angles and the structure of the fractals. Now, within the collection, as you just showed, there's various colors and each color represents a different sense. Right. So when I'm creating this, I wanted everything to be connected. So, blue, for example, represents sight because the most beautiful thing we see is the sky. Green represents sound. The most beautiful thing we hear is Mother Nature. Pink is taste, the color of our taste buds. This orange is smell, the color of our nasal cavity. And then white is touch because as children, we always reach for the clouds. <laughs> so, and then each one of these has its own distinct style of fractal layers and fractal art. So everything is very specific. So now let's take it another layer further. It's async music blueprints, right? And so I worked, and now I needed music because I wanted it to be a healing audio visual experience because poetry and score for me is like salt and pepper, right? With poetic films, every, every piece of my poetry has a score. So I wanted it to have a score. So I work with Please and Thank You, who's a well-known EDM DJ who's mm-hmm. worked with Blau and Don Diablo, blah, blah, blah. He produced 15 tracks, that are binaural, right? That live in what's called the solfeggio frequencies. In other words, it's a series of frequencies that are proven to heal the mind, body, and spirit and connect to the chakras. Wow. So now you look at this NFT, you've got one audio poetry layer of uplifting poetry, which is generative because you don't know which one of 100 you're going to get. Then you've got one of 15 healing musical tracks. And then you've got, eight fractal generative art layers to create a collection of 1000 ones of ones.
1: Wow. And that's what we have in our, in our collection, our mint 365, which, you know, I loved that, uh, you know, and the mint experience is uh, pretty amazing as well. I actually, I, I screen recorded the, 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 the mint experience uh, when it was happening. Cause I thought it was, you know, that dynamic and, and unique, uh, you know, and I, and I appreciate also the, you know, I think, Right now, I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, from an NFT, when people talk about, like, the NFTs that they're creating, I think a lot of it is, you know, and, and, and rightfully so in many cases, is, is copycat in the sense of, like, yeah. we're seeing what works and we're kind of building on it. This is, you know, it also takes, like, I would say, David, like, when I first heard someone mention that you were, do- you were doing this, it didn't capture me until I heard you talk about it. Oh. And, and I think that is such a, a a key aspect. So I'm curious, for those that are, like, listening, like, did you identify yourself as like a content creator? Like, I mean, because the way that you show up on Spaces, you are very active. Like, for those that you, know, you are, you know, you're, uh, you know, acting in a, in a in a show that you're, you're doing all this NFT, but you're also very, very active in the community on in all kinds of different ways. H- how do you kind of like prioritize the need? And, and the, like the desire to kind of like show up and tell the stories, support others. I've seen you in plenty of rooms. I think even this morning you were in uh, the I think Rug Radio. We were both in there uh, this morning listening, right? And and to me that stands out, right? Like I I I often say like I want to align with people that are are just as much about being on the mic as they are about you know not being on the mic and supporting you know, others that are great in this space. How do you like prioritize and like and understand like how much that role is connected to you as this? You know, sp- I mean, I went to buy it within minutes of hearing you tell a story versus just kind of going to a website. How do you connect those dots?
0: You know, I think it's, um, thank you. And I, I think it's important that, and I, and I said this one, when I, when I first had the experience with I Can't Breathe, and now I'll fast towards to where we are now, I told my community, I'm not going anywhere. To me, blockchain and multimedia art for me is the future. And it's my future where you dedicate your time is where you dedicate your life, right? So if I know that to be true, and I fundamentally believe that the blockchain is going to be tethered to every single thing that we do as it relates to intellectual property and also record data and record keeping, I know that the blockchain is going to be part of everything. So if I know that to be true, it's going to be to my interest to keep pushing forward. And get this, of all the human beings that have invested in my art, if I decide to hang up the phone now, that's called a rug pull, ladies and gentlemen. It's called a fucking rug pull. And I'm not going to rug pull the incredible human beings that have stood up for my work that have invested in my work, their hard-earned Ethereum, in my work to just walk away and hang up the hat. This is too important, what we're up to. So I love being parts of these morning alphas. I love being a part of this stuff. Um, you know, I, I was just blessed with the honor. NFT, uh, NFT now just nominated me as one of the top one hundred crea- NFT creators in the world. Yep. and to me, it's a testament of the work that I've put in and the work that I continue to put in. Um, you know, NFT now said that senses is pushing the boundaries of art and blockchain. Wow, and, and
1: I mean, you are you are leading the way in many facets there, and I I loved seeing that your your name was one of the the, the top one hundred, and uh, we've been blessed. You know, many of our guests uh, have been uh, you know we're on that list uh, as well, and I, I also you know, there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are you know, athletes, authors, speakers, they have like that full-time. How are you looking at this? Because, you know, you are still, you know, you know, with a, with TV shows, the acting side of the house, Mm -hmm. how are you looking at it from like a team dynamic? And like a, you mentioned your community, you know, you're not going anywhere, but let's face it, there's going to be opportunities that are coming up in in other areas that are going to pull away some of your time and attention. How are you looking at that from like a scale and like a team growth perspective?
0: No, it's a great question. Um, and I mentioned earlier offline that I use Gary V as a great example, you know, everything that is V friends is all a result of Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Gary is a lead guy, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes because he has a team that is empowered that, that he trusts that he can lean on. And so for me, it's, it's, it's fundamentally the same, you know, I'm not going to pass up on huge opportunities, right? If ne- when a network television show says, David, we want to put you on our show, that's a big deal. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Like being able to act on TV, even if it's one line, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Smith, your coffee. That's a big deal. <laughs> All right. So I'm not gonna pass up on those opportunities, right? Um, and so I need to be able to build an infrastructure around me that could sustain the equator if and when. I need to be in absence from these projects and sort of being the the coach, as it were. I don't like to be a boss; I like to be a coach, mm-hmm. or speaking at a VCON, or performing on the main stage at Can Lion, for example, um, or whatever you know thought leadership stuff that I do as a front man. I need to have a team behind me that that can be able to be my voice when I am voiceless, for example, and so it's really really important that we that we understand how to delegate and we understand how to let go of our babies while we're not home you know and i and i know you do the same thing you know it's like we we're only we're only one person we can only do so much and um
1: it's a lot harder said than done right i yeah you know, i'm yeah you know, my you know the team here like we launched the podcast with you know, there was one and a half of us, and that was mostly running my speaking business, right? And now uh, there's ten of us, and you know, even you know, uh, just you know, just in the last couple of days, I've had to be nudged a couple of times. You know, I'm coming through COVID. Uh, that you know, I got the the NFT NYC PO app uh, of, of getting COVID, and and there was a couple of times I reminded, like Brian, you don't have to do all those things. You don't have to do all all those. Calls. You have a team that is there. How are you? Like that that is that is harder said than done, but it's also. How are you finding kind of like the right, I hate to say the right people, but the people that you're like, you know what, this will build the trust. Let's, let's establish those connections. Are there, are there certain things that people that are listening can, cause that's probably one of the most popular questions we're getting right now. The mm-hmm. first question is, all right, Brian, I'm in, but what would my team look like? And then the second part is like, who, where do I find these people? How are you attra- sure. kind of addressing that?
0: Well, I, I, so it's a good question. And, and there's something to be said about like, whatever it is that you're doing. Artists, anybody in this audience, keep in mind: whatever you say yes to, invariably says no to something else. Yes, right, indiscriminately. So Mm -hmm. you have to be cautious about what you say yes to. I have had to be more and more cautious about what I say yes to. Who do I want to show up for? Where do I want to tell my story? You know, what countries do I want to go to? What blockchain events am I willing to participate in, etc., etc.? Right. So there's that component. Now, as far as the team is concerned. You know, I have a lot of constituents that I've been working with for a very long time in Web 2 as a filmmaker and as an actor and creatives. I would rather take someone from Web 2 who I know, love and trust and take them through a crash course in Web 3 so they can get up to my speed than try to meet somebody in Web 3 that may think that they know too much, Mm. right? Because there's also that component, right? Because I want to be friends before I'm collaborators, right? The other thing, and this is, I think, the most important component to this. Is that whether it's someone like I said, my web two constituents or web three constituents, it's energy. It's energy. Mm. Everything that you are is a magnet to attract or oppose. And who you show up for yourself, how you show up for yourself every day will be an indication of the individuals that you repel and the individuals that you attract, right? And yeah. have a and have a good barometer for bullshitism. <laughs> right? You got to be able to suss people out. And and that comes with experience, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> but I yeah. think that energy is the most important thing. That I invariably am blessed to attract incredible human beings and I measure my collaborations by how inspired they are by the vision that I have. Oh,
1: that's a good one right there. Cuz I think that I mean that that through line. Right. And I think that also weeds through the, you know, the cash grabber web three wannabes uh, you know, making claims that, you know, they can't claim and, or can't back up. And, you know, I think that's part of the beauty of the blockchain. Blockchain doesn't
0: lie. Right. We don't, we, we, the, the receipts are there. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and I'm not and listen, and, and I'm not here and I never have been here for a cash grab. Like right. if I wanted to do a cash grab, I would have dropped, I could have dropped the PFP and put all my energy behind an animal of the week. You know, and done it anonymous. Yep. If I um, wanted to, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be creating experiential, experimental, poetic audiovisual experiences on the blockchain if cash grab was my mo. Now, yep. I want to. I want to be able to 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 fertilize the soil. I want to create work in the blockchain that's not only going to be respected by the technologists, but also art that's going to be respected by the institutions.
1: And, yeah. I, and I can I throw the third one in that I feel like it's it's weaved in there, and, and this is actually where I wanted to kind of bring this all back around. You also are not shy about the idea of using this to make a greater impact. And Correct. so a lot of the things that you've been doing are raising funds for things that are much bigger than than the two of us. Talk to us a little bit about that. And like for me, that's like that that is the true North Star of what this all can become, is that we can really rally together. You know, the mantra of the podcast is pretty simple. We are greater than me. And you embody that. I I've, I I've felt it in a lot of the things that you've created. And you've done that in, in many ways where I think there's other initiatives that maybe have the same passion and desire to have an impact, but they haven't had the success. And, and I say success as like the true impact of what the art is brought to life. How are you looking at that in the future and maybe inspiring others to be like, if you want to make the impact, we have to go all in, in these ways. I really, I commend you for that piece, you know, and I know that how, how much that means to you in the sense of what you're creating are, are helping open up doors, pull up, you know, people to the table that haven't had at the table. and, And ultimately in many ways, start conversations that, just haven't happened and it's been far too long that they haven't been, um, served up. So give us some of that as we kind of pull this episode together. I mean, I'm just loving every minute. Sure. Of
0: sure. And thanks for asking. Yeah. I, I, social impact, um, is a big part of what I do. And because I create, art that is about social consciousness, whether it be about racism and justice, overpopulated prisons, whether it be about gentrification, you know, how we have to do better for our inner city youth, for example, whether it be about climate issues, you know, whatever I'm speaking about in my art, it's tethered to a social issue. And so for me, it's a little, it's morally bankrupt to not partition some of those funds to some of those causes because I, there's so much concentration of wealth in the cryptocurrency community that I say literally, if you're not giving a portion of your proceeds to real world, uh, philanthropic efforts, shame on you. And I'll tell you to your face, fucking shame on you, shame on you, you know, because whether you're tithing in your church or whether you're tithing in communities, you can each, we can each one teach one and we can break off. 5%, 10%, 8%, figure it out, build it into your business model, even if it's just you being a part of the human experience. you know. Even if you're doing it for selfish reasons like tax write-offs, whatever right. it is, if you have it, break some bread, right? So to me, that's important. The other piece of that is onboarding 501c3s into the values of blockchain. So I have worked with a couple nonprofits and actually worked with them to create with a platform called Engiven, um portals so that they can now receive up to 80 different cryptocurrencies in donations. Right, and so this is also important. So it's not just about donating money. I want to work with organizations that want to work with me from an optics perspective, that want to go to campaign with me on these drops, but also understand the values of blockchain and that are forward thinking. So that it's 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 a multi sided die when it comes to how I I, I approach these sort of philanthropic th- philanthropic efforts. But I really think that um, the most important thing that I that that lands with this is just leading through inspiration, as you said earlier, because. You know, so many art drops, PFP drops, fine art drops, they don't get sold off the back of, oh, we're going to give away to to nonprofits. Most collectors like that idea, but they're not buying your art because you're giving a little bit of money away. Mm -hmm. They're acquiring your art because they believe in you. Like if I buy a Fanzo piece of art, I'm buying it because I know, love and trust Fanzo. And the same thing applies with David Bianchi. The fact that they could be a part of a social mission is just a fringe benefit of owning a David Bianchi piece of art, right? And so my mission statement, I think, is clear. We as leaders can lead in blockchain, but we can also lead in the real world because also what that does is it evangelizes the blockchain in communities that otherwise would not have heard of the blockchain. So I think we could do a little bit of it all I'm building a I'm building a, a pretty robust company right now, and I in my model I've said that I want to do eight percent of all net profits I want to dedicate to educating bipoc children and technologies and the value of blockchain and do IRL educational seminars. It's just something that I want to do um, so it's it's really really important for me to do that you know and and my my bills are paid and my needs are met so. I just think it's really, really important that if we lead from a place of generosity, that the universe will pay it back tenfold, and that goes back to energy and, and all those things I was talking about earlier.
1: And you know, and, and just so you know, it from a, a you know the reputation for you and that commitment it precedes you, and I think that's a testament to your ability to show up, to be taking the actions on those. And also that you bring that energy every time you open the mic, every time that you're a part of these different uh, communities. And, and I think that's like the beauty. I, I'm so glad that you were we were able to you know get you on the podcast. And, and, you know, also, I think that's also the beauty of, you know, being able to share, you know, stages together, uh, you know, on Twitter spaces and, and get to know each other's missions and things that we have going on. And uh, you know, like you know, when we, I when we went to start this podcast, I mm-hmm. I literally looked at Drew, uh, you know, and said, we can drop a PFP project and probably sell out today, or we build a piece of content that amplifies and 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 builds trust over a long period of time, and, and we build something much bigger than that. And and hearing where you align in that thing. It it just reconfirms a lot of the things that we've been committed to now, you know, seven and a half months in not missed a, you know, a day uh, of this podcast. And, uh, you know, for me, the, the driving force is that greater good and that greater mission of, of bringing this uh, to the space. So David, I'll, I'll let you, uh, you know, any final words, any, we'll put all your links and everything um, in the show notes. So everybody will be able to click it and see, you know, a lot of the great things that you're created, but I'll let you kind of have
0: the the final words. (laughs) Well, I think, um, I just hope that whatever you heard here today, I hope it came across as honest and I hope that uh, you're inspired by my story uh, and that you're willing to join the journey. Uh, I hope that I inspired someone in this room to break out of their shell, uh, to become the entrepreneur that they don't know that they already are because time isn't linear. (laughs) Um, I hope that I offered a seat of consciousness for people to maybe look at a new way to approach life, art, and technology. Um, we are part of something genuinely revolutionary. And it's the re- I say it's, it's the Renaissance not because it's a catchphrase. It's the Renaissance because it is exactly what the early Renaissance was, which is the marriage of high culture, fine art, technology, and finance. All those things combined is what makes this movement in blockchain and NFTs, the new renaissance. So don't take it lightly. Go ahead first, make friends and lead with your heart.
1: Couldn't have said it better. I love it, David. Thanks so much for, for jumping on with us. Uh, you know, for all those that are listening, you know, as always, we'll be here again tomorrow. And you know, take action, my friends. This is this is action oriented. If you if if you listen to all of these different pieces, uh, you know, David's leading the way through the actions he's taking. And uh, it's so easy for so many to talk about it. Unfortunately, we don't have enough that are doing it. And all of you can kind of step up and hopefully take on that mantle. and, And we'll continue to kind of push this forward. So until tomorrow, make it a great day. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. And friends, don't forget, mark your calendars. October 9th through the 11th in San Diego, California. That's right, Crypto Business Conference. Join entrepreneurs, marketers, and creators at the only Web3 conference you'll need to attend, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. And of course, our goal, much like here at the podcast, is to not only keep it simple, but educate, inspire, and motivate. So make sure you get your tickets at Social Media Examiner dot com slash nft 365 and i hope to see you in san diego this show is not financial advice so do your own damn research